This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing today from the heartland in Nebraska, Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only working from Tampa. Uh, Later today, I'm going to be going and seeing the Phillies play against the Tigers. Yesterday, Shohei Otani was back at it. Struck out five batters in his spring training debut over two and a third innings. Otani making his first start of spring training. We've caught you up on just how good he was last year on the hill, of course, at the plate, unanimous MVP. Got him! What a start! Isbell goes down, one away! Well, he's an ace. Proves it right there. Got him looking! Shoei Otani, great to see you on the bump. Wanda Franco, one of the best young players in baseball, had an RBI double in his first, first hit of spring training in Tampa Bay's game. Going into this year, if he can consistently hit that fastball first half and second half, I mean, his numbers will even get more impressive than what they showed last year. As Wanda Franco lines the ball the other way out of left field, that's a base hit, and he'll score loud from third. Right-hander Garrett Richards signed with the Texas Rangers, a deal that will net him $5.5 million. This was interesting news yesterday. A Major League Baseball letter to the Yankees about sign-stealing allegations, which had been under seal, will be made public despite an appeal from the New York Yankees. A source told ESPN's June Lee that it will be at least two weeks before the letter is made public. We're going to be talking about that coming up. Kyle Schwarber was introduced to Phillies reporters yesterday. Here's Kyle Schwarber speaking with the media. Can't state how excited I am to be here. I'd like to thank the Middleton family for the opportunity to uh, to be here. Dave, the whole front office, thank you for uh, believing in me and wanting me to be here. And uh, the, the whole Phillies organization, this is uh, a, a true honor. And I'm excited to, to bring, the help bring a World Series back to uh, Philly. It's a deep lineup, you know, that we're going to have everything covered from one to nine. And... Uh, the goal for us as an offense is not let that pitcher breathe, right? Like, we don't want him to, to feel comfortable at all. And uh, it starts from pitch one. You know, we want him to feel the pressure every single pitch. And uh, this lineup's about to do that. And the Washington Nationals announced yesterday that this summer they're going to retire Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. Sarah, what else you got? Thanks, Buster. So, yes, it's March Madness. So be sure to check out Baldman on Campus, an ESPN-hosted podcast by Jay Billis, LaFonzo Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. And Taylor is the producer on that. They've been having some amazing content. So be sure to check it out wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo is Paul Embikid. He's a researcher at ESPN. He's a honcho on the show. Get up. Hembo, what are you doing? Uh, Buster, I am, well, at the exact moment, uh, lamenting the fact that my Phillies now have four designated hitters in their lineup. I mean, when, when, when we were told that, you know, the DH would, would come to the national league, um, what I guess, you know, Dave Dombrowski failed to realize was that you still have to play the guys in the field to some extent. So all my brethren in Philadelphia are so happy that we got all these new bats, but I'm sort of late to the party there. Yeah. Well, you totally dove into this. I was talking with some of the Phillies uh, beat writers yesterday about how, uh, and I'm putting this in air quotes, entertaining this team is going to be this year. Because you know and I know they're going to hit, right? Uh, but the defense is the question. Yesterday, Kyle Schwarber was introduced. Uh, today, Nicholas Castellanos was scheduled to be introduced in Clearwater. Uh, tell me what you see in this Phillies team. So I actually disagree with you in some sense that, that, that uh, about the, that the question is the defense. I don't think the defense is a question. I think we know that the defense is going to be historically bad, impossibly bad, embarrassingly bad. The question is how much will it matter in relation to how good everything else on the team is. So the way that this um, these signings are being painted in Philadelphia, to me, is, is a- inaccurate. You're not signing prime, say, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz. I mean, that's not who Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos are. I mean, Castellanos is coming off of a great season, as is Schwarber. So I guess the question is, what's their sort of baseline of production? So that's wh- where I'm sort of attacking this team. If I can see the – if I can imagine a scenario – which they can average, say, five runs a game, meaning they have, you know, they'd have to score 800 runs. Uh, I think they can make the playoffs. But they scored 734 last year. They ranked seventh in the National League. And Bryce Harper had a Hall of Fame season to help them get there. So that's obviously half of the equation. And the other is, how many bats can the pitching staff miss? Last year, they ranked 10th in baseball in strikeout rate. I'm not so sure they can duplicate that again, at least Zach Wheeler's performance. So those are the big questions to me. It's how, how much can the, the, the lineup, and the pitching staff offset what we know is going to be one of the worst defenses in, in recent history. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Marley Rivera about this yesterday, about how this team reminds you uh, so much of some of the teams that Dave Dombrowski put together with the Tigers when he had Miguel Cabrera playing third base and Prince Fielder playing first base, for example. But those teams had Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander uh, and other guys who were missing bats, Anibal Sanchez, and, you know, if uh, if Zach Wheeler's not right, uh, you know, and he's not able to, you know, this year uh, for one reason or another, he's not able to give him, a, you know, close to a full complement of starts. 
that's going to be a concern for sure. When I uh, talked to Joe Girardi yesterday about their defense, you know, he immediately pushed back, which, by the way, is his job. Uh, and he talked about how, look, you don't have to be all rangy as a fielder to, uh, you know, to be a good defender. If you just have to make the plays you're supposed to make. And then in the game that followed, there was, a, a, you know, a pop fly in foul territory to Reese Hoskins and he dropped the ball. And Marley <laughs> and I were looking at each other saying, well, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Uh, right. I was watching the game, too. And my blood is already boiling, Buster. We're, we're still in the middle of March, um, which is crazy. But I. I the one one thing I would want to point out here is, you know, in, in comparing this to, you know, to, to Dombrowski's Tigers teams, like Cabrera and Fielder, like, again, Schwarber, Castellanos, we're, ta- we're not talking about Hall of Fame hitters here. We're talking about good hitters here. And I, I understand what, where Joe Girardi is coming from because the Yankees essentially built a dynasty around a, a great lineup and a defense, as you well know, that made all the routine plays and once in a while a great play. But I'm not convinced that the Phillies are going to make all the routine plays. And I'm also not convinced that the Phillies are going to score nearly as many runs as those teams. So I'm very fearful. I, like What I tweeted over the weekend was, the Phillies are going to allow more runs than they score, Buster, and they are going to score a lot of runs. All right. Uh, I know you're excited about this. You've got three bold predictions for the 2022 season. Let's hear each I one. I do, Buster. I'm, I'm excited to run these by you to see if I'm crazy. Well, we know I'm crazy or not. See how crazy I am. <laughs> so the first is this. 500 on base percentage for Juan Soto, Buster. Here's my pitch. Over the last two seasons, all right, his, his, his figure is 471. That's over 198 games. So his baseline is already pretty high. For historical context here, Nobody's done it since Barry Bonds, of course. And before him, no one had done it since Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams in 1957. So this would be a long time coming if he could pull it off. There's really two things that would need to happen for him to do so. One, he would need to control the strike zone with an extraordinary discipline. And we know he can do that. His chase rate last year of 11% was the lowest in a season in recorded history. The second, though, I'm not so sure. What I did was aggregate all the seasons in the live ball era in which a a batter on base at least 500. The lowest batting average in that group was 328. The average in that group was 375. So the question is, can Juan Soto sort of hit close to that? Now, he did hit 351 in the shortened 2020 season. He must have hit 348 in the second half of last season. I think if he can put that kind of stretch together, we might see the first season in a generation, well, <laughs> excluding Barry Bonds, of course, in which a batter made fewer outs than he did it. What do you think? I think there's a real possibility they would do that. And as you were talking, I, I and not this year, and you didn't step out on this bold prediction, he probably represents the greatest candidate to hit 400 that we've seen in a long, long time. You know, people, I covered Tony Gwynn, and people would talk, and I remember 1994, he had a chance to hit 400, but in some respects, he wasn't a great candidate because he was a free swinger. He would yeah. put the ball and play a lot. It's hard to be that type of hitter. But if you're a hitter who's a, like a Ted Williams, like a Barry Bonds, like a Juan Soto, and you take walks when they pitch you out of the strike zone, that probably increases the likelihood at some point you hit 400. We'll see. I love that. I mean, the, the, also, just like parenthetically, like you don't need – you're right. You don't need 250 hits to get to 400. And who knows? Maybe without the shift uh, in, in future years, that might help him. All right. My second bold prediction is this. This is definitely going out in a limb buster. But I'm going to say 400 total bases for Vlad Jr. Now, that's an astronomical number. He had 363 last season, and that led baseball. 
The last time a player topped 400 total bases in a season was 2001, when a few different guys did it at the tail end of the steroid era. But here's why I think he has a real shot at that figure. So he's already working on reducing his ground ball rate. Last year, it dipped from 46 from 55. So he's sort of honing in on that particular skill. But that percentage, 46 buster, is still well above average. He made as many uh, ground ball outs last year as Eric Hosmer did, who's like a notorious, uh, you know, spike the ball into the ground kind of hitter, one of the uh, highest figures in all of baseball. If he can turn, say, 20 of those ground balls into fly balls or line drives, I think that's a realistic figure for a hitter who I see making really astute adjustments in real time. And we obviously know that he has the physical skill. Yeah, I agree with you about astute adjustments. I think he's a unique hitter, but if he's actually this year evolves into a hitter who might have a chance at 400 total bases, then other teams are going to start giving him the Juan Soto treatment and he's not going to get pitched <laughs> to. You know, my question is who in that lineup is going to compel uh, opposing teams to pitch to Vlad? And I think uh, this will be the year when they'll start to say, you know what, we're just going to pitch him out of the strike zone and, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, whoever it is, we'd rather pitch to that guy. Maybe so. Buster, my last bold prediction for you is this, perhaps my boldest of all. I think Walker Bueller is going to win 25 games. Now, that would be unprecedented, at least for this era in baseball. The last pitcher to do it was Bob Welsh in 1990. We think uh, Walker Bueller can win a high enough percentage of his games to get there. He's 30 and 8 over his last two full seasons, but obviously 25 in a season would require something extraordinary. Here's why I think he's got a shot. So, first of all, Last year, he was just fairly unlucky when it came to his decisions. His, the bullpen ERA last year for the Dodgers was about half a run higher when he pitched than when anyone else did. That's obviously just randomness. And he had a 3-3-3 ERA across 13 no decisions, also one of the best figures in the league. Now, here's why I think he has a real shot at 25. With Betts and Turner and Freeman atop that order, I think there's a non-zero chance that the Dodgers can approach six runs per game, giving him with how well he pitches, obviously, every fifth day, a real chance to win every start. Look, his teammate last year, Julio Orias, led the league in wins. He went 20-3. and three. I think if the stars align, we could see Walker Buehler, should he start 33 or 34 games like he did last year, have a real shot at 25 wins. Am I crazy? Yes. There's no chance that happens. Uh, I will bet you right now, if this happens, I will get you two tickets, you and your bride, to a Philly game, Okay. And if okay. it doesn't happen, then maybe you and I can agree on something going the other way. Because I understand okay. you're going a little bit out on a limb and, and we'll, we'll frame it, but there's no chance that happens. Uh, I think that team's right. going to be really good and he's obviously their best guy. Oh, without a doubt. But 25 wins, no, there's no chance. Uh, last one, I forwarded you yesterday a, a conspiracy theory that I got from a high-ranking baseball executive who says that part of the reason why he wonders if Carlos Correa signed with the Minnesota Twins was because of some of the back issues that he's been having. And the fact is, is that the twins travel schedule is so much less arduous than uh, say the Houston Astros, for example, the American league West travel schedule is the worst in baseball because it involves the Seattle Mariners. Is there any substance in terms of the numbers behind that? Yes. I am fascinated by this idea. So one thing that they do on baseball savant every year is they detail how many miles every team has to travel based upon their schedule. Now, obviously with some of the late changes, they've not uploaded this year's schedule yet. They told me they would have it by the end of the week. So we will have firm numbers at some point soon, but either way, just looking at um, travel schedules over the last several full seasons, which we do have access to, it looks like on average, the Astros travel something like you know, 35,000 miles a year and the twins on average about 25 
thousand miles a year. Now I've never had chronic back issues, of course, or, you know, ask myself to play 162 baseball games, but it's actually a very astute to make. If you, if you're looking to sort of break ties as far as where he might want to go. So I think the twins here sort of made out like a bandit and, and for Carlos Correa, who obviously didn't have the opportunity to sign the mega deal that he may have thought entering the offseason, he could have done a lot worse than this because I wonder if he and his representation sort of did a study in which they tied his performance to travel or anything of that kind, where at minimum, he could just say anecdotally, look, this takes a lot out of me and maybe I don't you know, like uh, perform as well on the road or you know, something of that kind. I'm fascinated by the idea and I wonder how much his representation looked into it, but the numbers bear it out very clearly. If, yeah, if he, he at minimum saved himself 10,000 miles on an airplane by signing this contract. Yep, I agree with that. After I, I heard today about the Astros' last offer to him, it makes no sense to me that they basically held on to their five years, $160 million offer, their last offer last fall, and they would not include opt-outs in their offer. I, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I, if, I'm the twin, if I'm the Astros, I'd sign up for that, uh, that Twins deal a thousand times over, and I would do the exact same deal if I – you know, because you get a good player for one year when you're trying to win this year. And if he opts out, well, guess what? Then all the, the long-term financial risk is his. Yeah, the, it's very bizarre to me. How often do you have an opportunity to sign Buster, a premium player, on effectively a no-risk contract? The Twins yep. pulled that off. And I think, look, I think when you compare it with the Twins did, for example, against what the Yankees did this offseason, they had one of the smartest offseasons that any team has had. They improved in so many areas. And Carlos Correa being the sort of the icing on the cake there, I think obviously sent it over to the top. But there are, I mean, to me, I'm a big market team across baseball. I'm sort of looking at my wounds, seeing that contract, thinking, you know what? I probably should have been willing to do that to him. Thanks, Hembo. Later, boys. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Let's pay homage to Max Scherzer, his passion, his work ethic. He has been at the center of baseball's labor talks, devoting his time and energy to getting a new collective bargaining agreement. But none of that interfered with his preparation for the season, apparently. 
Starting pitchers use spring training to build arm strength and their pitch counts. And a lot of them are at about 40 to 60 pitch ranges these days, prompting general managers and pitching coaches to acknowledge that early in this season, a lot of depth will be needed. Extra arms to fill in for innings that starting pitchers can't handle early in this 2022 season. But Max Scherzer is clearly ready to carry his share of the load. On Monday for the Mets, he threw 72 pitches in five strong innings. Buck Walter said in a text this morning that Max came in already prepared to build on 60 pitches or so, something in that range. Scherzer, age 37, found the zone with 55 of his 72 pitches. He surrendered three hits and didn't walk anyone while striking out five. And at one point, he retired nine consecutive batters. He talked afterward about focusing on the ball strike count. You know, I just wanted to come in and just throw a strike. You know, first out, you know, uh, you got, I wanted to just come in and uh, fill up the zone. Uh, from there, you, that's when you can, if you have feel for your strike zone, then you, then you learn how to you know, pitch around the strike zone. Uh, but you can't do that until you, until you know exactly, until you can just pour it in there and pitch up the pitch. So uh, that was a good thing today. I was throwing a lot of strikes and, uh, you know, got my work in and got five innings attack the zone. Um, you know, wind's blowing in. <laughs> So it gives you even more reason to try to let me hit out of the ballpark. So, um, you know, like I said, got my work in, didn't walk anybody, tax zone, a lot of first pitch strikes. You know, that's all the good stuff. June Lee covers baseball for ESPN. And June, yesterday you had a story uh, about this letter that is apparently going to be released from the courts. It was sealed up until this time. It was a letter written by Rob Manfred to the Yankees. What's suspected to be in this letter? So there's this letter that's part of a larger lawsuit about the ramifications of sign stealing in the context of daily fantasy sports, because, of course, sports gambling runs all of our industry now in many ways. Uh, And so there's been a lot of fans who were interested in the contents of this letter. Um, and this was within, you know, over the time frame of the Red Sox and the Astros, all of that stuff happening, um, dating back to when the Red Sox had that whole Apple watch sign stealing thing that was going on. And, um, you know, they kind of got a slap on the wrist from the league, but there was a letter that Rob Manfred sent to, uh, Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, uh, about who knows what at this current moment, just given the fact that the letter hasn't been revealed, but there's been allegations that this letter contains more evidence of what the Yankees have done in regards to sign stealing than what has been revealed to the public in the past. And so at some point in the next couple of weeks, uh, the court has ordered that to be released to the public and we'll see what's inside of it. So I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this, um, because I think the context is incredibly important when we talk about this. It's like to me, you know, the uh, the comparison that I would make would be to uh, sticky substances. You know, uh, when people would say, well, that guy's, uh, you know, you can tell that he's got, uh, you know, bullfrog sunscreen on his forearm. He's a cheater. And I'd be like, yeah, but you got to understand the context. <laughs> so many <laughs> players were using this. So here are my two thresholds about what's contained in this letter and whether or not it actually really matters. One uh, was whatever is alleged in this letter that the Yankees did or whatever is determined that the Yankees did, uh, did it happen before or after the letter went out for Major League Baseball to all teams warning them, saying, look, you got to knock this off. Uh, if it happened before, 
uh, then that would distinguish them from the Astros and the Red Sox who did it after that letter was sent out. And the second thing, uh, second threshold for me is whether or not there was real-time conveyance of signs in the way that there was with the Astros with the banging of the trash can. You know, was that in effect throughout games in the way it was for the Astros? You think those are two good thresholds? Do you want to push back? Yeah, I, I think that's actually pretty accurate because I think the thing that is different that differentiates the Astros more than anything is because it came past the warning and also was so egregious in terms of hearing the trash can, seeing the way that it affected the way that players went about their bats. I think that those are two incredibly important things. Uh, and I think on top of that, I think you you kind of hinted at this, but there is the larger context of the culture of sign stealing within baseball and how it is kind of culturally always been part of the game in a in a kind of wink wink nudge nudge kind of way uh, and the question is whether or not it goes to the point where it's egregious in this kind of absurd way like i remember in, in high school like i used to coach third base because i was a bench warmer on my team and sometimes you would be able to catch on to the other team's signs in terms of pitching yep. and you you give signs to your team it's like it's just kind of a part of baseball the question is whether or not you use technology to kind of bring that to the next level. Um, you know, I think the, the Red Sox with the Apple Watch were kind of, uh, you know, towing the line a little bit. And the Astros kind of went far, uh, far above and beyond by using, you know, video and then the trash can to, to communicate then. So I think that is part of it. But I, I think the one thing that I would add on to kind of your threshold is the way that the Yankees went about stealing these signs allegedly like if you, they are using technology and communicate in some sort of way and i don't want to speculate on any sort of method because we don't you know know what's in the content of this letter yet but depending on whether or not kind of you use this technology to kind of push the limits of what has been done in the past i think that is also something that is going to be taken into consideration as, as about how we talk about the the, the sign thing that the yankees have are alleged to have done yeah and if uh, you know, my, when I first started covering baseball, you would hear stories about players who were in the clubhouse watching game on television. And they would notice the sequence of signs from the catchers and they might run out to the dugout and say to the guys, hey, uh, when he does first sign here, this is what it looks like you're going to get, which is different than doing it in real time. I think a lot of teams, uh, you know, used televisions to, uh, you know, look how catchers were working and how they were giving signs much in the same way that there were a lot of pitchers who used bullfrog or used pine tar. Yes. Yeah. It's not like you're using the TV to then use a radio to communicate with a light to the batter in real time or something like that. Real time um, is the distinguishing, you know, pot potentially distinguishing question about how far the Yankees went. Right. Because if you're watching it on TV, like the TV feed is available to the public. Like in theory, someone could sit down in center field and use a pair of like strong binoculars to decode the signs uh, from the catcher just as like a fan in the stand. So like, I think that there's, um, you know, a very fine line to walk here, but it's again, as, as many baseball things come down to something that, that boils down to feel and whether or not something feels like it's completely towing over the line in a way that feels egregious and bad. Yeah. I can't wait to see the letter. I know you, you're in the same boat <laughs> I am. All right. You spent a lot of time uh, around the Red Sox in your lifetime. Uh, what do you see as the impact of the signing of Trevor's story? 
So the thing that immediately jumped out to me with Story's contract is how similar it is in structure to this contract that Xander Bogart signed in 2019 in terms of just the money, the average annual value, the fact that there is an opt-out after, uh, I think, the first four years of Story's deal, uh, and just generally the current state of the Red Sox roster building, because Heimblum's heading into year three now. Uh, Xander Bogart's has obviously been the kind of founda- one of the foundational pieces of this Red Sox roster, but... Story represents someone who I think could maybe tip the scale towards Bogart's leaving. I reported in the past that uh, Xander Xander's planning on opting out after the season because if he just hits the open market right now, he's just making way more money than he does on his current contract. And he has expressed, according to my sources, a, a, a willingness to to uh, people around him that he's 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 willing to play second base or, or third base for the Red Sox. Now he denied this in, in spring training, um, but this is something that he has definitely thought about and talked to uh, about with people just within his his inner circle. Uh, and so I do wonder what this means for Xander's future on the Red Sox because Story's obviously going to play second base this year for the team, but he's a guy who's who has obviously played shortstop for his entire career with the Colorado Rockies and. You know, I think that a lot of people, at least around Boston, were surprised about the kind of deal that Boston got for him because I think a lot more people expected Story to get more money on an average annual value basis. You know, there's there's the the contract situation situation around Rafael Devers uh, and how Boston, I think, in in my opinion, is probably going to prioritize resigning him just because of his age and his position and, and the quality of his bat. And then the kind of X factor looming in the background of all of this kind of middle infield situation for Boston is Marcel Meyer, who was the top draft pick for the Red Sox last year and is you know came out of high school, but is is given the kind of the the player development trajectories that we've seen in baseball over the course of the last five years, especially we've seen guys coming up early and earlier. And so I I think that this is uh, we're in a little bit of a transition period where Boston, I think has an opportunity to really have a strong infield this year offensively because of the value that they have at the shortstop position. But this might be a one-year window to have an infield with the bad quality of Trevor story, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers uh, manning that side of the infield. I love from the Red Sox management perspective, the, the idea that you have a safety net built in if Xander Doug does opt out, um, or if he stays, you know, I do think story is going to be their shortstop in 2023, one way or the other, uh, because as you said, you know, Xander winds up staying, uh, you know, perhaps he's going to wind up moving to a different spot. We'll, we'll see, uh, you know, a lot of that will depend on how they view Devers. Here's the other part, June, that I really think is great about this. From what I understand, you know, story had uh, an opportunity to go back to Colorado. He had a chance to go to the twins who are improved, but I don't, you know, we don't think of them as being in the the big market, you know, Dodger, Red Sox, Yankee realm. Uh, he absolutely prioritized winning. He's burning to win after all those years in Colorado. And I, I just in my time in covering baseball, I feel that's important. Even with really good teams, you know, guys who've been to playoffs every year, Xander has lived in the postseason. You know, J.D. Martinez has lived in the postseason. I think it's great to have someone coming in who's got that burning desire to win because I think that rubs off on other players. You buy that? It, yeah, I, I do buy that because I think in a market like Boston, when there is so much pressure to win just on a night to night basis, if story struggles at the beginning, like he's going to be able to handle that pressure because he understands that, you know, coming to Boston means that you are trying to win right now. And if, if you're getting pressure from the fans uh, when you are struggling and you have the mindset that you are trying to win with this kind of burning desire, I think that getting negative feedback from fans could almost be seen as a positive because it means that everyone is invested in the same way. And so I, I do agree with you that 
that that is something that is a major positive for this team. And, and I, I think it's, you know, really interesting in how you mentioned that, you know, Star Wars kind of the safety net. I think Bloom is not necessarily taking the approach that he took in, in Tampa Bay in terms of you know, spreading out or, or not, not paying guys and, and trading guys, because I think just because you have the, the financial backing of John Henry, there's just more, much more financial flexibility. What I do think is happening is that he's trying to spread the wealth out across a lot of different positions to make sure that, you know, everyone, every single position is kind of above the replacement level, which is what has been done in Tampa Bay. Um, but, you know, I think when you have a little bit more money, the level of replace, the, the level you have above replacement level is a little bit higher in, in Boston than you can have um, in, in a place like Tampa Bay where, where they're trying to, to cut costs at all times. Two more topics. We've got about two minutes left. I want to ask you uh, how you felt about the twin strategy and signing Carlos Correa. We talked in the podcast today, yesterday, about how from their perspective, yeah, they're, they're trying to win, but uh, whether or not they're actually in contention or not, there's a lot of logic behind uh, after you have Correa under contract, knowing he can opt out at the end of the year, a flipping in, in midseason for talent that's more major league ready. Um, you know, in order to sign Correa, they had to give a draft pick compensation. But if you trade him in midseason, you can get guys who are closer to the big leagues. So you're essentially, from the Twins' perspective, you're buying prospects with the money you're investing in Correa this year. I love that strategy. And I got to be honest, you know, I wonder why some of the other teams, including the Astros, didn't do it. Yeah, I think this is just incredibly creative team building, given the construct of free agency today, um, because Correa, I think, is in a position where you know, he maybe necessarily didn't necessarily get the huge money deal that he was expecting, just given the the flood of really talented shortstops on the market this offseason. So he can kind of put himself in a position to go back out in the market after this season if he wants to. And the Twins are kind of in this in-between rebuilding position where they have some stuff there that uh, is worthy of building towards a potential playoff team. Um, but being able to put your, you're kind of in a win-win where, you know, maybe the team outperforms expectations and then you have Carlos Correa to be the offensive centerpiece of that lineup. But if, if you are kind of on the seller, the seller end of the market, um, come the trade deadline, uh, Carlos Correa is someone who you can obviously deal and, and kind of build towards the future, especially, um, you know, after everything that the Blue Jays got uh, last year from trading Jose Barrio. So I, I think that this is just really, really creative roster building. I think that this is something that we're going to see more teams do down the road. Um, especially if you're in a unique position to sign a guy like Correa, who uh, maybe didn't necessarily maximize his market this offseason. Last one, 30 seconds. I think the Padres situation is dire. I think they strip mined their farm system last year. They've, they've gone close to maxing out uh, Peter Seidler's uh, credit cards, the owner, uh, <laughs> and really comes down for the, the Padres is that some of the guys who haven't been as great, uh, as consistently good, just need to step up this year. You know, Eric Cosmer, Will Myers, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you need guys like Blake Snell, you Darvish, those guys to really, really come through. And I think that this is the just the the downside of going really, really all in in the way that I think someone like Dave Dombrowski has done in the past, where you kind of strip the farm system and you you really try to maximize a two or three year window. Was, for some teams, that obviously does work out. But when you have a guy like Fernando Tatis who's riding his motorcycle in the offseason and needs surgery on his wrist and everything is kind of hinging. Uh, the the lineup, the defense, all of that stuff is kind of hinging on his success in many ways. Um, and, and you strip the rest of the organization organization of that depth to get that top line, you know, name value, famous talent. Um, you're really, really kind of playing with with you're really, really on thin ice because I think a lot of teams, you know, you you have a deep farm system, you have a deep organization kind of slotting guys really, really, really easily. But when you're investing that much money to 
to really famous baseball players uh, who have been talented in the past, but maybe some of them are on the, maybe the, the backside of, of where they've been in the past. Um, it's it's really, really dangerous. I, I agree with you, Buster. That I think the, the Padres are in a slippery slope. And this is coming from someone who picked the Padres to win the World Series uh, last year and probably won't this year. <laughs> okay, Jim. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it's time for Bleacher Tweets. So our first one today is from Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. Where do you see Correa signing long-term? And did he leave money on the table by not accepting the Tigers offer? Oh, he totally left money on the table. You know, their offer, from what I understand, was about $275 million. He gets $105 million in his deal with the Minnesota Twins. He's betting on himself to go back into the market in the fall. And I could give you a guess... Uh, about where he might land in 2023. But let's face it, so much of it's going to depend on injuries and, you know, how positions develop. Who knows, uh, you know, how that's going to go. Next up, we have Trevor Dunning at Montana underscore Met. Hey, Buster, just curious, what's your son's opinion of the Olsen Freeman Braves drama? Yeah, for more than a decade, my son's favorite player has been Freddie Freeman. His favorite team is the Braves. Um, he, uh, throughout the entire off season has been, uh, you know, and I had been communicating, he's constantly asking me about those negotiations and where do they stand and where do you think they came would, he, you know, if, if Freddie would come back, uh, in the fall, he was incredibly angry about the Braves ownership, but I got to tell you where he landed on it is that, you know, he understands that Freddie, he's happy for Freddie to go back to his home state and get that nice deal with the Dodgers. And he likes the Braves trade for Matt Olson for a younger first baseman. Next up, we have the Hunt for Red Sox October at Hunt for Red Sox October. Given the current state of Cleveland, have any teams looked into Shane Bieber? I'm sure that they will. Uh, Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber could be the two biggest names on the trade market this summer because they're not locked into long-term deals. Next is Eric Sorensen at Coach Sorensen 9. Okay, Buster, 22 season. What games are you most looking forward to covering? City you're most excited to visit to cover a game. Favorite restaurants you like to go to on the road. What matchup do you want to cover but might not be? So I'm most excited to, to see the Blue Jays play this year. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a Sunday night game in Toronto but I'm excited at some point to have them on because I think they're an incredibly dynamic team. Um, there's a great rooftop restaurant that I like to go to in San Diego. We've got the Padres on Sunday Night Baseball early in the year, and I'm pretty fired up about that. At Problematic Ba 3, I think it's pronounced bleh. I could be wrong. So sorry to whoever that is. How are the Giants still expected to do so well? Lots of key bosses, some new prospects, but lots of unpredictability. Yeah, uh, with Buster Posey retiring, uh, you know, they changed up with their starting rotation a lot. Kevin Gossman's out the window. I think that to some degree, the Giants are getting the benefit of the doubt in the way that the Rays get the benefit of the doubt, where everyone assumes that, you know what, they'll figure it out. And I spent during the offseason some time with Mikey Stremski, Kirk Sally, and they talked about how they have a great culture. Uh, and that's, you know, they, they just raved about the coaching staff, about Gabe Kapler, about the front office and finding good players. And you feel like that the Giants have built up a lot of organizational depth already in the way that uh, the Rays do. And the last one is Joe Dwyer at Joe Dwyer underscore 19. 
How much does the story signing move the needle for the Sox? Jays still look like divisional favorites, but does this bump us up to second? I'd pick them second right now or third. You know, I think the Rays, again, because <laughs> the Rays do what the Rays do and they have excellent pitching. They're dangerous. But I mentioned to June, I think that Story, because he just burns to win, I think he's going to be really valuable for that team. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to listen, rate, and review this podcast and keep submitting your questions. Thank you so much, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to June, Hembo, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.